Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is Mark Covino. Hello, everybody. And Rachel Fox. Hello. All right. Mark made a film that you might know by the name of A Band Called Death. It's a very good documentary about a band called Death. Pretty straightforward there. <laughs> Not much creativity. But Title says it all. We can forgive that because it's a good movie. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I really liked it a lot. I interviewed him for the site as well as co-director Jeff Howlett. Am I saying both those last names correctly? Yeah. Howlett Mark- and Covino? Yeah, that's perfect. Damn. Yeah. All right. Right Usually people say Corvino. And, but there's uh, no R in it. I, I, people throw it in. I don't know why. It's weird. <laughs> Come on, people. Stop throwing that R in. It's a very easy last name. Covino means with wine. With that. wine? Yeah, in Italian. Oh. But you're yeah. just sitting here with water right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Are you to, Jesus? I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> Let me dip my finger in here. Yeah. And Rachel. Rachel is here because she's a friend of Mark's. She's from Canada. Yes. She does something with a theater up there or I, something. Yeah, I, I'm a programmer at the Rio Theater in Vancouver. So if you go to the Rio Theater and you're like, man, they got some good movies here. It's probably her doing, right? On some it's level. Most likely. On some level. <laughs> she's yeah. responsible. If you say, hey, these movies are terrible. It's not my problem. Not her problem. No. Probably somebody else. Yeah. All it's right. a great old theater, too. It's be- yeah, it yeah. is one of one of the last ones. One of the last greats, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, they just did a uh, indie, is it Indie Go-Go or Indie Uggogo? I can't remember. <laughs> indie Go-Go. Indie Go-Go yes. campaign. You're sticking letters to- in like the guys with the R's. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But they just had a successful campaign to uh, save. Um, the big neon, big neon sign yeah. it had to be redone. We, we asked for 15 and we got close to 17,000 from... The independent cinema-loving people of Vancouver and beyond. That's so nice. Cool. Yeah. What was wrong with the sign? Well, it, none of the lights work, so it, yeah. you can't. Well, you see need it. lights you, for the it, sign. It's important. Hmm. It draws people in like a moth to a flame. So. You get all those nighttime viewers. <laughs> yes. Coming by. Yeah. It, hel- it helps. What's it, playing there right now? I mean, this isn't going to link up because of the, well, it's, it's going to go up later, but whatever. Well, well, right now, um, for the next couple of weeks, we will be full of hobbits or hobbitses, I believe is the plural. Do you make like your big nut as far as money on the on the hobbit movies? No, not really. We um, were a single screen art deco uh, refurbished venue. We seat, oh, nice. We, we seat 420 plus. And we only do first runs. Is that a very specific number for a reason? I am not going to comment on that publicly. <laughs> um, but uh, no, we we do a first run movie maybe once or twice a year because when you do that, you're you're locked in for a couple weeks. Right. Um, and as a single screen venue, it's it's hard to maintain that. So we we really only do it at Christmas, and we do you know maybe one one in the summer. Like last year, we did Anchorman, two the year before that, Django, and then. The rest of the time we do concerts because we've got a full, beautiful stage and, um, you know, indie movies that people want to see. Films like A Man Called Death. Oh, so you played that then? We sure did. As soon Sweet. as I, yeah, I saw it when we met, we met at South by Southwest yeah. and, and I saw it and I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't care when, but this movie has to play the Rio. And Damn we did, right. Yeah, we played it. We played it more than, we played it four times the first time. And I think it came back. When the band came back to Vancouver, we did another night of it. Yeah. So you put your foot down. Uh, something like that. I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know. You the, like me because I had a black Christmas T-shirt. That's correct. Yes, that's right. Because I was like, oh my god, there's somebody here wearing a shirt that's sort of Canadian-like. I can nice. represent the Canadian horror. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. All right. So band called Death mm-hmm. abbreviates to A B C D. <laughs> <laughs> Which is your favorite thing in the world because that's all you do on uh, Facebook. A lot, it helps me out. A B C D all day. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that it's A B C D. I'm I'm glad you did. <laughs> it's it like the, it, 
<laughs> it wasn't the original title. I was kind of forced to use it, but um, I'm kind of happy that. Can, are we allowed to talk about that? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> I'll just say. Um, was it, it full of expletives? <laughs> no. No, it was, uh, the original title was Where Do We Go From Here, which is the name of one of Death's songs. And Jeff right. and I, um, my co-director, we had spent three to four years you know, making this film, and that was the title. We made trailers with that title, a promo with that title, some posters with that title. It was everywhere. It was, you know, it became our baby in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, and then when it came time to submit to film festivals, one of our producers wanted to change the name uh, to a more marketable name. I guess it's a good name, and, though, I, and I, I accept that. it now. But at the time, yeah. I was I was a little hot headed. I was this right. filmmaker, you know. I finally have producers. You know, I'm going to tell them this. I'm this is unacceptable, <laughs> and, and I was an idiot. But um, it is a great title. I like. They're both good titles. Yeah, it begins with an A, and if you know, it's always at the top of a list at a film festival. That's That's one of the reasons why they changed it. I like that. If it doesn't begin with an A, it begins with a B. I gotta make a movie called like Aardvark or something. (laughs) Aardvark the movie. Well, you wanna know something funny? Our our distributors, Alamo Draft House. You know why they call themselves the Alamo Draft House? So they can be first in the phone book. Exactly. That's what Tim Leake said. He said there's no reason. I gotta fucking I gotta trademark Aardvark. Like you gotta right trade now. You gotta trademark ten thousand aardvarks. And, yeah, then, and then you're right at the top. Oh man. If you begin with numbers, That's aren't right. you at the beginning? That's, so. Yeah. Yeah, but that they might get me on a technicality with that one. They might change the rule right after I buy like numbers one through nine or whatever. God damn it. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good tip. So for you budding filmmakers out there, name your your movie something really high up in the alphabet. Call it Aardvark or a band called something or other, because that's not trademark. Somebody can come out with yeah. like a band called Weezer or whatever. Although that is Although, a letter that comes well, after D, so you, that doesn't you, work. You could call it a band called Aardvark, well, and then you'd be a, <laughs> a, band yeah, a band called Aardvark. There you go. Well, the funny thing is that one of my arguments against calling it a band called Death was that there's a, a death metal band called Death already, right. and a I, good band on its own. Yeah, right? no, they're great, very influential in, in their genre of music. But I, they I, fucking hate you. <laughs> oh my god, do they hate us? Uh, we we kind of share mutual hate, I guess, if you if you can call it that. I I you know I've heard some of their music. I like it. I'm not a big death metal guy, and I appreciate. But you like a lot of genres. I, I love a lot of genres. Ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what I don't like is is when we made a, a an honest film about a band who called themselves Death back in the '70s, who actually copyrighted their name back in the '70s. Oh, really? And then to have this other group death who called themselves death in the late 80s come at us both at the movie and at the band and try to sue us that i don't like yeah that's that, dumb that, that's ridiculous and it lasted a year they had our facebook page taken down and then we had we only got it put back up once we took theirs down and it was just like come on guys this isn't high school you know? yeah and in yeah. essence it's, and I, I should it's, say it's not the band it's the lawyer that represents the correct. band now because the lead singer isn't with us anymore oh okay. um so no disrespect to the band but the lawyer Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> but he's he's laid off and, and, you know. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in essence, it helps both you guys because the people that know the band Death. They're they, discovering. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a mutual thing because if mm-hmm. there's two bands with the same name, everybody's happy. Everybody benefits because when you're Googling there's, shit, you're going to find both and then you there, might there's find totally something you like. There's room for. No or whatever. Yeah. There's room for both bands to coexist. There's no reason yeah. why there needs to be any. And our band never had beef with them at all. Like right. our band's always so like nice to everybody so that happened um, in, in can in canada actually there was a band called bush in the 90s i thought you were going to say there was another country called canada no, there, well there is it's yeah but no there was a you know a band a canadian band called bush and then 
the other British band called Bush came out oh, yeah. and it was mm. like a big legal thing. So I believe in Canada, Bush is actually called Bush wasn't, X. Wasn't, mm. wasn't there reasons. also a Nirvana before Nirvana? I'm like, sure there was. I mean, I mean, no offense to the yeah. death people, but <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, no. Sure, <laughs> I'm sure a death metal band called death, yeah. you know? There was, uh, there was another band called Blink and that's why Blink-182 became Blink-182. And I always thought that was funny because it was kind of like, if they're trying to make like an AOL screen name or something and then like blink was taken and then it just shot out random numbers and they were like, all right, we'll do that one. It was like the equivalent of that for a band name. I always thought that was, that was adorable. Um, so when I first heard about the band, I heard about them on Pitchfork Media. Oh, cool. And so I automatically assumed there were some new band trying to sound old mm-hmm. because I didn't just skim the review. I just saw yeah. it was a positive review, listened to like a little of the music. And I was like, ah, I'm not in the mood for something that's trying to be an old timey <laughs> band or whatever. Yeah. And by old timey, I mean like the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean like, you know. Ragtime, you know, tuba and yeah. accordion. <laughs> but like, I avoided it. Like, even though it was it was good music, I avoided it on instinct because I thought it was mm-hmm. doing that thing of trying to sound older than you are and trying to, yeah. you know, pretend like you're from a different era than you actually are. And then when I heard about the movie, I was like, oh shit, mm-hmm. this is actually like old recordings that were discovered and people are now listening to and checking out. How did you hear about the movie? I don't know. See, that's a, that's a great thing. That's what you want. You yeah. want it to be like ubiquitous in the sense that like you just kind of hear about it and you don't even know why, but you just have to see it. Like that's the yeah. goal of marketing, I well, assume. That's, that's the cool thing with our film. It's kind of had this, I was talking to Rachel about this. It's kind of a cult film in a way. It, mm. it didn't have a huge marketing campaign behind it. Most people the, know about it though, which uh, is wonderful. Yeah, which is great. And um, like as somebody that loves cult films in general i'm happy that i made something that's become that i guess but uh, it was never like a big big movie like it didn't it played it i think 40 theaters which is a lot i think a lot of people saw it online probably i think most people saw it online and and like heard about it through music friends you know like just trade records like oh you should see this movie about this band yeah it seems like a lot of people know the poster too yeah i was just thinking i was just totally thinking that which is pretty damn effective Mm -hmm. for like nowadays like for somebody to know a poster that well like i can't think of what the poster for fucking nightcrawler is or (laughs) any of these other movies that are coming out like i know they exist but can i can i close my eyes and see the poster no not really but i could see the poster for a band called death no that's cool you say that that goes back to Evan Husney, who uh, actually it's Husney, I think. I can't remember. I'm sorry, Evan. Um, but he works. He worked at Draft House. He's the reason why Draft House bought a band called Death. He, he saw it at the Los Angeles Film Festival. And, and he saw it at the Los Angeles Film Festival because we used that photo of the guys nice. um, as our kind of like poster for the movie. And, um, and he saw that photo and that is what caught his eye. And he went to go see the movie and that was blown away. So when the time came to actually do the actual movie poster... We must have went through like 20 different versions and it just ended with that one. Like that was the one that Evan liked. That was the one I liked. That was the one that Jeff Yeah, it's liked. effective. It was, Can't argue with that. It's just the photo. That's you know, another so. lesson for you budding filmmakers out there. Good poster. Yeah. Good. So you can't just have your name be real high in the alphabet. You got to have a nice effective <laughs> poster too. So good poster 
pie in the alphabet name. Mm-hmm. Everybody's learning something. Yeah. Like. Pretty pretty colors. Pretty the, colors. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like I've seen it as a yellow and a bright it's, pink. It's No, yeah. it's uh, yellow and just black and white. Okay. So the yellow really sticks out. Yeah. You got to pop that oh. yellow, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's like highlighter. But uh, it is. It looks like it. And, and the yellow part of the poster is the part. And this is actually the part where some like diehard punk rock you know, historians, or at least they call themselves that, will get aggravated and pissed off at our movie without even seeing the movie. The bright yellow part of the poster is the part that says, before there was punk, there was. And then uh, in black and white, it says a band called Death. So that's a lot of asking it, for angry letters. It, there. it is, and it's something me and Jeff were never for at the beginning because uh, Jeff and I never made a film to say that these guys were the first punk rock band. Like, right. that wasn't our intention. It was to tell this family story of these uh, African-American brothers who actually played this music that... Some of it was ahead of its time. You might be able to call it punk. You can call it pop rock. You can call it whatever you want. Right. But we were more interested in David Hackney's story and how he held the band together through all these years with this really cool music that he believed in. Well, um, it's kind of yeah. like a, it's like a tree falling in the woods, but nobody's around to hear it. You yeah. Know? They did something that was so ahead of its time, but maybe it wasn't influential in the sense that a lot of people heard it, mm-hmm. but it was still a milestone yeah. as far as music creation and melding mm. sounds and all that yeah for sure and you know people like i said some people will see that in the poster and they'll just write the movie off without yeah. even seeing it but what what they don't also understand is that the poster um that before there was punk there was that's a play on words with the new york times article article that came out in 2008 or 2009 which is how me and jeff got first like notice about this whole story mm-hmm. um, there's this new york times article that right came out that i think said, it had- I that probably might be how did, you, that's probably how I heard about it. Yeah. Thing. It said before the, what, what was the headline in that New York Times article? It said, this band was punk before punk was punk. That's what caught our eye. Right. And, and so I think that's what caught the marketing team's eye when they were doing the poster. Yeah. So they had to play off that. Exactly. Sure. And, and so you get it if you understand that. But people that don't understand that, they'll see these fucking guys are trying to say these guys were the first punk rock band. They weren't the first punking. <laughs> that was a spot on impression. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, so wait, so how many years of li- of your life was this movie? <laughs> it's, I mean, if we're gonna still break going. it down. <laughs> I mean, um, from inception, I, I, lo- to- I lost four years of my life, <laughs> and I'm still still trying to gain them back. <laughs> um, a, I mean, that's par for the course for documentaries, it seems. Yeah, no, I, I don't even. I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining. I mean, trust me. Um, what's his name? Um, who's the guy that directed Active Killing? Um, Oof, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm like but right next he, to the computer. I should be the guy to look it up. Um, I'm going to look oh, it up. Um, Joshua Oppenheimer, right? Is that his name? Joshua I'll Oppenheimer. I'll double check. Um, but um, that poor guy spent nine years on that film. So, I mean, people spend years on these documentaries. And, and hey, really, you got it right, Joshua Oppenheimer. Yeah. And he, somebody else, Christine uh, Christine Sin. The, his co-director. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you... <laughs> It, it takes passionate people, people that really believe in the story. And Jeff and I believed enough in, in telling the story and, and wanting to tell it right, you know, that we just didn't give up. I mean, we hit a wall where we ran out of money. You know, Jeff got a divorce. You know, I I was... Yeah, life, to, life gets in the way. Life course. gets in the way. But to us, the movie was the thing. Like, we had mm-hmm. to do it, even though it was killing us financially. And luckily, like, on a day where we did kind of give up in a way, we had a phone call in the morning and... Jeff told me because I wanted to keep going no matter what. But Jeff's like, this is crazy. We got to just. What was the phone call? He he called me up from work um, at like nine in the morning. It was before he got a divorce, but things weren't good at home. And we were both like near bankrupt. And uh, he's just like, listen, we got to 
we got to put this on hold and either try to raise money and make it over the course of like 10 years, like hoop dreams or something. Right. And, or, or just, um, just give up because it's really not doing us any good right now. Mm. And, and it was a hard phone call to have with him. But, um, but almost immediately after that phone call, a friend of mine started frantically texting me that Scott Mosier mm-hmm. was, uh, tweeting about a band called Death. Nice. <laughs> or, or not the movie band called Death, but just about our movie in general. And I called my friend back and I said, what do you mean Scott Mosier is tweeting about our film? And for those that don't know Scott Mosier, he uh, is a producer from Hollywood. He produced Goodwill Hunting and all of Kevin Smith's films um, up until Zach and Marie uh, make a porno. And, um, and my friend's like, well, he saw a trailer you had cut and put online. And at the time, the film was called Where Do We Go From Here? And he's tweeting about it because he, he wants to know, A, is it the most deaf documentary? <laughs> Which I can get into that story if you want later. Or B, um, is it still being made? And, you know, he'd like to know more. And so I told my friend, just send him a message, give him my email address, and please tell him I'd like to talk to him. And then that night, me and Jeff were on the phone with him. Oh, fantastic. And it was kind of like a Cinderella story. Like, here we are talking about putting the film on hold or abandoning And here you are in a like, dress. Here I am wearing my glass dress. Glass slippers. Yes. <laughs> So how did you get into documentary filmmaking to begin with? Like what, what pulled you towards that? Um, Cause I, I, you seem like somebody who just loves movies forever. Like me. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I grew up on movies. My mom worked the night shift um, at Long Island Jewish Medical Center. And, and so I was always home alone at night watching movies. And then on weekends, she'd take me out to see movies. So I, movies were ingrained in me. I, and I knew from the age of nine through a teacher that I had um, that I, I wanted to be a director. Like I knew at that age. And so from yeah, that's the same for me. I feel like yeah. it kicks in pretty early on. Once I think you, so, once yeah. you know that people direct them, yeah. then it's like, oh yeah, okay. That's the thing that I'm going to do, you know? Exactly. And, and you know, me and my mom weren't rich or anything, so I didn't have any video cameras. So eventually when she could afford one, it was a VHS camera. And I, I shot a couple of videos. I remember in high school that were like, I did the Mammon and the Archer. Like I made my own short film of that, you know, mm-hmm. and I did um, the Glass Menagerie. I did my own short film of that. And Look I did, at you. I did Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> and these were terrible films. I remember. A little Max Fisher <laughs> over here putting on. Uh, yeah. I remember for Macbeth and the Glass Menagerie, it's like Glass, Glass Menagerie takes place in the Great Depression and Macbeth takes place in like medieval times. Which is, of course, <laughs> a, you know, topics that you know a lot about it. Well, I was a big fan of Mad Max movies and post-apocalyptic movies, so I, I based them in the apocalypse. <laughs> so I shot in like the junkyard behind my house. So you played to your strengths. I, I did, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It didn't make any sense to the story at all. <laughs> but um, but no, I ended up. I went to a film school in Vermont, and I just wanted to make narrative films. I didn't want to make documentaries, and at that time, I think I had only seen a, a handful of them. You know, American movie was one of them. I hit so a spinal tap and that it, I consider that a documentary, even though it's. Yeah, it's know, a, it, I feel like the style sort of if you're doing it in the style, you're capturing something mm-hmm. that's organic. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, intentionally, you know, funny or whatever. If you're capturing something in that organic way, mm-hmm. I feel like you can call it a documentary. I, I've always felt like the line between documentary and narrative is so you know, hair it's, thin. It's very thin. Yeah. yeah, because if you're if you're sitting down with somebody and you're having an interview and you've written out all the questions ahead of time and you know mm-hmm. where the movie's gonna go and everything. Yeah. How is that any different from you writing down lines to do and stuff like that? I mean it's just it it's just an approach. It's yeah. I mean, people in their head they think documentary, oh real. Yeah. You know, this is just stuff that's happened. But there's so much 
like even and it's not even in a um you know malicious way but you you do steer things towards a certain area when you're making a documentary film yeah and i'm just learning all this stuff still (laughs) yeah it's an ongoing thing you know yeah i mean so to get back i was at college i wanted to make a narrative feature i didn't want to make a documentary Mm -hmm. but we didn't have any money me and my friends I, my parents had bought me like a three CCD video camera. So we had that. And I remember the only movie that had come out that shot on mini DV at the time was like Chuck and Buck. Right. Um, which is a pretty good which, movie. Yeah. Good movie. I like that one. But, uh, but I, I didn't feel like I wanted to make a narrative film with that kind of a camera. So me and my friends came up with this kind of like scheme that we would make a mock documentary since we were all from out of Vermont. And, you know, I was from Long Island. One of my friends was from Georgia. Another friend was from Africa, like literally from Kenya. And um, we were just like, dude, these Vermont people are fucking weird. <laughs> right. They eat maple syrup every day and, and they dress weird and they paint their houses pink and purple. And it's just, <laughs> it's so not where we're from. And, dude, um, did you ever go on those, um, there's those fucking slides that I always see advertisements for. Like if you go to Vermont, you can go on these like weird like slides down hills or like you oh, they have those, those yeah. little plastic the things. alpine slides yeah, yeah the, what the fuck no, i've always get, wanted to do that no, you, don't want to do you don't want to do oh it oh my god not good you'll get cement burn all oh over no your <laughs> it's terrible dude you just dashed my <laughs> I, dreams I, I once saw a kid lose half the side of his face on one of those <laughs> oh <laughs> lord that could have been me <laughs> no. my parents never took me there we, we live life on the edge up there in <laughs> <laughs> the slides <laughs> It's just maple syrup it's, it's, and slides it gets as far your head, as the man, eyes can yeah. see. 100% pure Vermont, man. <laughs> Shit's dangerous. Um, but yeah, so we, we had this idea. I don't remember whose original idea was, if it was mine or one of theirs, but we were like, let's just make a documentary about Vermont people and interview Vermont people, like some famous Vermont people that would be famous to Vermont people. And then just some random people, like some maple syrup guys, some farmers, you know, just dude on the street. Right. And there were some topics going on in Vermont at the time. There's this thing, the civil unions with uh, gay people getting married and there was the act 60 thing that was going on which act 60 was this i don't even remember it dealt with taxes but so we we asked people about those like what they thought about those just to hear their opinions and and uh but then there's this mockumentary part which was um to show the audience that we didn't know what we were doing since we didn't know what we were doing we never made a documentary right. before so we turned the cameras on ourselves and switched our names around and so my friend Josh played Mark Covino and I, I, I told him to play like this pretentious asshole filmmaker that just wants tits and ass, nice. which in a way is not a stretch for me in a way. But, um, and then, you know, a couple of like I played the sound guy that I switched. I took one of my friend's names and I was um, a closeted homosexual who that wanted to marry Mark. And and at the ending of the movie, we we're going to marry like that was going to be the climax of the movie through a civil union. So this movie ever come into fruition? Yeah, or? the movie's done it's horrible i'm never gonna show it <laughs> but i i learned how to conduct interviews through it and yeah. I, I learned a lot about um how to frame a camera you know like outside of film school like in film school they're trying to show us this but the teachers were doing a pretty piss poor job at the school i went to so it was really just going out and doing it ourselves that really taught us you know this is how you you know this is how you log this is how you keep a uh you know a list of what you shot and what's good and yeah i mean i'm always a know. fan of the thing of like doing it yourself and kicking your own ass with it because if it's if it's something that you're putting your name on yeah you're going to be learning a lot more attentively and you're going to be doing things a lot better than if it's just a project that you're working on to yeah. get a grade and then get out of there you know if at the end of the day your name is going to be on it you're going to be putting way more effort into yeah. it and we did we we spent three years shooting it yeah and um 
I thought it was going to be a masterpiece. <laughs> I thought it was going to be great. Um, and then when I finally saw it, I was like, wow, what do we do with our lives? You're like, who is this Mark Corvino guy? <laughs> I don't know this Mark Covi- Corvino guy. Yeah. <laughs> is any of it salvageable, do you think? Is there no, any moments? No, 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 Nothing? no. It's a doesn't bad have movie. a part? It, it, it exists. It's a, it's a feature-length film. It's a piece of shit. One thing I will say about it, though, um, you know, obviously Spinal Tap was an inspiration for me in, in doing it. But uh, looking back at it now, it was kind of ahead of its time because it was doing exactly what Borat did, which was we were playing characters while interviewing real people. I thought you were going to say you were wrestling it, it, oh. naked on screen. We did do that. That was on the cutting room floor. <laughs> Me and my friend Justin with his balls on my head. But, yeah. uh, so, by the way, the name of the movie is What State is Vermont in? Because nobody in, nobody in America knows where or Vermont Canada. is. Or Canada. I don't or know Can- where yeah, it is exactly. either. Um, so, and every time I'm back home in New York visiting people, they're like, where Where are you, Vermont? Where is that in Canada? So, yeah, you, li- you still yeah. live in Vermont. Uh, yeah, right. I, I live in Vermont okay. still. Yeah, like yeah. now, but I'm from Long Island. Right, right, right. So how'd you come to living in Vermont? I don't know if I got that part. Um, well, I'm, I'm originally from Long Island. I, uh, born in Queens and kind of progressed out towards center reach. And, um, I grew up an only child with a single mother. My mom divorced my dad as soon as I was born. I think she just wanted to raise a kid, mm-hmm. but, um, she was always a very intense original woman. <laughs> she had strong, uh, um, feelings towards things. And if you didn't agree with her, uh, you know, you would either hear about it or feel it. <laughs> and, um, I think it was around the time that I started going to high school that, um, I became more of a man. I started dating and stuff. And it's hard for anyone to understand that never grew up a single child with a single parent, but, um, I was kind of like my mom's husband in a way. So mm-hmm. when I started leaving and dating, it was like, she lost the one person in her life that mattered. And, and so she started getting more aggressive and stuff. And, um, and basically, um, it just, it it got so bad that she would do violent things that would hurt me, like throw full soda cans at my head, yelling at me for not coming home at nine o'clock, even though I came home at like nine 30, you know, Mm -hmm. um, if I didn't take out the garbage, you know, I would get something, you know, smacked across my face. Um, and so this one day it just like, it got to its peak. I was sick and tired of all this bitching and, and like, you know, I'm not a bad kid. I'm not, you know, I'm not snorting Coke or anything, you know, like I'm just hanging out with my friends a little bit later. I'm not taking out the garbage every now and then. I mean, give me a break, you know? And she was complaining. I remember she drove me to Taekwondo class and she was complaining about this oil spill in the garage that I knew was from the car. But for some reason she was blaming me about it and I just had enough. And I was like, are we allowed to curse on this? I mean, yeah. We're, yeah. we're not on a network. <laughs> okay. Come on. Right. Is it clear channel? I mean, I'm flattered. <laughs> That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me is, uh, uh, can I curse on this? You're welcome. That implies yeah. me getting paid by uh, so, superior. <laughs> but uh, no, yes, you can um, curse all you want. So I, I had just had enough and I was like, shut up you fucking cunt and man did her head like turn beet red like a thermometer like i actually saw it it was insane and she took the car over three lanes of traffic um up onto a sidewalk and she grabbed this thing called the club that you use to lock the wheel is this all a plug for the club this is a plug for the club (laughs) it's all been a commercial they're gonna make millions off of this after the story so she took the sharp part when you pull it out with the ripples and she started wailing it at my chest, oh, like man. really hard. Like, I want you dead. I want you out of my life. And how and old are you at this point? I was, it was 19, I was 17. Wow, okay. I was 17 years old. And, the, you know, the really violent stuff, I guess, she was always very 
violent, but uh, the really like physical violence stuff really started around high school, middle mm-hmm. school time. Um, so I just took it. I took the club and I butted her in the chin to stop her, like, you know, knock out of it. Yeah. And she didn't, but she was like breathing really heavy. And I never heard or saw anybody breathe like this. It was like an animal. And she drove me to Taekwondo class and then left. I don't remember if she ever picked me up or not or mm-hmm. how I ended up home. But shortly after, um, she had her ex-boyfriend, Jimmy Guido, come, who was this guy that claimed he was a hitman for the mafia. Short little Italian guy, you know, tough bastard. And he was he came up to try and, like, set me straight. And I could totally tell, like, that's why he came. And and I was just, I was, like, so sick of it because he was always violent with her himself. He would always grab her by the arm. And I mm. hated that because I love my mom. I didn't want to see her get hurt. Yeah. And so I remember I had a nervous breakdown in school that week. I was, like, I punched in my locker. <laughs> like, I punched it, like, four or five times until there's a giant dent. Like four teachers had to hold me down, and and at the time I was dating Jen, my current wife, and she didn't know what the hell like to think about all this. Like she was afraid of my mom because the few times she saw her, my mom scared her away. Mm. Um, and so they called Child Protective Services, <laughs> and and when I went to go open the door the day that the Child Protective Services woman came, I knew that that was it. I was like, shit, this is just like I've thought about running away from home, but now I think I might need to because now that my mom knows that these people have been called. I never wanted them called to begin with. Right. But you know, my mom talked to them and, and then after that, she didn't talk to me for like three or four days. And this guy, Jimmy Guido was around and he was just like pushing me around trying to be like, I'm going to make you a man, make you respect your mom, blah, blah, blah. And at the same time he was like disrespecting her. And I just remember sitting at dinner, um, the last night of that week with him grabbing her arm, being rough with her. And I was at the other end and I just remember thinking, I don't want to be in this circus anymore. (laughs) Like, I want to I have a normal life. I'm still a fucking kid. Yeah. Like, you know, I, if you're going to be in a circus, you yeah, better I go off go and join a real circus. circus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be more fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I called my friend up and I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it tonight. I told him I was going to leave, you know, run away eventually. But this time I was like, I'm definitely going to do it. I'm going to sneak out through the basement window where my bedroom was in the basement and just pick me up on the side at this hour. And he picked me up and I went to his house and I, I remember my mom called that night. She was chewing him out. She was, and then she ended the phone conversation with, he's not my son anymore, and then hung up. And so uh, I ended up trying to finish high school at his house. <laughs> and um, I was in junior high high school at the time, and I was sleeping on his floor. My dad came up to me at the end of the junior year, and he's like, Mark, you got to come up to Vermont. That's where my dad's lived since 1960. Yeah. He's like, yeah, come up to Vermont. You're being a burden on this family. And I was so pissed because I was a New Yorker. I I knew 7-Eleven, I knew White Castle, I knew I knew all this shit that I grew up, you know, me and my friends walking on, on the highways in the middle of the night when no one's driving on them, like, that's what I grew up with, and I didn't want to leave that behind to go live in the sticks, um, but my dad's like, no, you're being a burden, and so I reluctantly left to go to, move to Vermont around 1998, I think it was, and I've been there ever since. <laughs> and you like it? I do. The first year was rough. I, the first year I hated it because there was nothing but rednecks and hippies. And yeah. I, I didn't relate to that. I related to, you know, skate rats, to, you know, homie G's. Like, and then you made a bad movie and it knocked you down a peg. Yeah, and- exactly. I made a bad movie that knocked me down a peg. <laughs> um, but it, it was a culture shock for sure. Um, but then I, I started to see all the good things about it. Like right after I finished high school in Vermont, a feature film was being shot in Vermont by this Vermont filmmaker. And he was looking for an entire crew of high school kids. And so there I am, I'm working on my first feature length film, like a real movie and, and being taught the process of filmmaking. Which what movie really, did this turn out? It's, it's a terrible film called ingest. <laughs> um, and it's a play on words like ingest and ingest. Um, 
no. It's a terrible film because like 20 different people wrote the script and they were all yeah. kids. And the director isn't the best of directors. But it was a good experience. It was, it was, it was sure. a great experience for me. And, and it was while working on that that a, a kid on that told me about Burlington College, which is where I went to school. So you mentioned you dating Jen in high school and then yeah. she's your current wife. Yeah. And so how did, I mean, you you left town and then. Yeah, yeah I left. I was in Vermont for like. When did y'all get married and whatnot? <laughs> like I'm trying to fill in some holes. Yeah, it's not right. Jen's holes. Those yeah, are what not, you're filling. I already filled those in. Yeah, they're, they're, those are <laughs> sealed. After, after 15 years, it's yeah. uh, hard and crusty now. But <laughs> um, no, I um, I moved up there, and I think it was like not even a full year. No, it was yeah. So I started going to college. I remember, and we were still dating. Like she would come up on a train and visit me. Nice. And her dad hated it. Like he didn't like me, but. She That's was a lot. good lady, though. Yeah, exactly. And she was like, her mom, well, her parents are divorced too. Everyone's parents these days seem to be divorced. So um, her parents are divorced. So her mom was the one that would let her come up and visit me. And her dad was very against it. But um, I remember um, I was going through a lot emotionally because I lost a mother. Like she was very important to me. Yeah. Um, and I, it felt like shit. And I started doing drugs as soon as I started going to college, like everything I could find. And, um, I was just, I was a train wreck. I was, I could see I was going in a bad direction and I'm, I already start, I'm like at the beginning of college, you know, I, I'm not ready to like ruin my life yet. I want to wait until I'm done with college to ruin my life. And, um, and so Jen was coming up for new year's Eve of, uh, January, 2012. And, um, I just knew I was going to propose to her. Cause at that point it had been two years straight that we were dating and I knew I needed her in Vermont to help ground me because Right now, the people I was hanging out with and the situations I was putting myself in weren't healthy. And um, and I needed somebody to balance me out. And I knew it was going to be her because I still loved her a lot. And, um, and you know, we both met in a film production class in Long Island when we were in high school. So, you know, I, I just I knew that it was going to help me <laughs> no matter yeah. what. And it did. Like, we got married three days after I proposed and been married ever since. So that's about 15 years this January. I thought you said 2012. Or, uh, uh, 2000, 2000, 2000, I'm sorry, oh, 2000. 2012. Right on. So yeah, 2000 is when we got married, January. That's that's fantastic, man. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, it's great. It's half my life, 15 years. Wow. You've been married longer than I've been alive. Yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> man. I'm a little wonder king. <laughs> yeah. Making me feel old here. <laughs> All right, so tell me about uh, this movie you're working on now, right? You've been... The crest. On, yeah, you've been yeah. working on it for a little while, The Crest, right? Yeah. Um, well, we we had a Vermont premiere of A Band Called Death in 2012. I think it was November or no, it was in October. It was at the Vermont International Film Festival. And um, it was a great screening. It was like a packed 500-seat theater, and um, the band played before. And, and then one of my friends who I had previously tried to make a hip-hop documentary with he brought his cousin up to see a band called death and he introduced me to him after the screening. And he's like, this is my cousin. His name is Andrew. He's a surfer. And, um, there's actually a pretty cool story about him and his cousin. They want to meet for the first time and they're both surfers and they didn't know each other existed and blah, blah, blah. He's like, do you think that'd make a good documentary? I'd watch it. And, um, I was like, oh, it sounds interesting. Let's talk about it some more. And, and he told me a little bit more about it. And apparently Andrew, Andrew's uncle wrote a blog about a fiddle that was found in an attic in Ireland that dates back to his grandfather. Um, and his father, I think, was the king of the Blasket Islands, which were these rural islands off the west coast of Ireland um, that were, um, they had no electricity and they were uh, secluded from the mainland from three miles of treacherous ocean. 
And people on the islands were only able to get to the mainland on these boats called Navogues, which were like long, they look like long canoes, but they glided on the water like surfboards. Mm. So Andrew learns about all of this stuff through this blog. He's like, this is insane. Like my ancestors were basically surfers and, you know, they lived off the land like I do. And because he's, he's a fisherman himself and he lives in Cape Cod. And so he found out um, after his cousin who lives in San Diego found that blog that he, his cousin existed. His cousin never knew that Andrew existed. And his cousin's name is DK. So these two never knew each other existed for some reason, um, which you find out about in the movie. And they're both surfers. And so they connect through the phone and in emails. And they're like, listen, you know, our, you know, Andrew was like, listen, my family's going to Ireland for the year of the gathering, which was in 2013, where families go to Ireland and kind of retrace their roots. And he's like, you should come out and we should meet for the first time and try to surf the waves of our ancestors in the Blasket Islands. Nice. And so that's what our film... Uh, captures basically you know we, we did a kickstarter and raised some money and, and all that money went away after our <laughs> trip to ireland yeah um but now we're in post-production trying to wrap it up and and uh, trying to raise finishing money um, nice is it going to be a feature it's it's going to be a short doc right um i i'm very adamant about that it's like I mean, a minute long it, right it, so. <laughs> <laughs> well the family wants it to be a feature that's understandable i mean it's about their family sure. um and it's it's i guess depending on how short your film is. I mean, our film is going to be short, but it's also going to be like 45 minutes long, probably. Right. So it's it's like a long short. Mm-hmm. And, and those are really hard to get traction at film festivals. People want short shorts at film festivals. But I just I just know instinctively that that's You should the, just play it twice in a row. Just play it twice Call in a row. Call it a feature. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just have an, uh, and now an but, encore presentation. <laughs> but I will, like, in the editing room... If it feels like it could be longer, I will make it maybe 60 minutes. Um, you just have really slow good. credits at the end. <laughs> really slow credits. That's what they did well, with uh, Ginger Dead Man. Well, we Because <laughs> they had to get over I, 70 minutes, so I, they just played the, <laughs> the end credits as slow as possible. Actually, I think my producer on uh, The Crest worked on Ginger Dead Man. Oh, man. <laughs> See? It's going to end up being like a two-hour movie. <laughs> just... The second well, he gets in front of the credits. Just with the credits from Kickstarter, I mean, we're probably... That's gonna... true, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I the film doesn't have any conflict in it like a band called Death did, you know, and, and conflict goes a long way in, in, in a There's film. no death, so to speak. There's nothing really. It's just you're going on this journey and you're kind of learning about this family and you're learning about this land that they're from, you know, which is, it's basically one a huge part of how Irish language survived. Mm. Irish language, which is called Gaelic, by a lot of people in the states, but they call it Irish there, um, or homosexual, or homosexual. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's do the <laughs> depending the on better which. nomenclature. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so our, you know, our film's gonna go over all that, but it'll be more of like we're gonna bring the audience on this like journey and educate them as they're just having fun watching these kids learn for the first time. Nice. Are there gonna be lots of like um, surf shots? Because I know people yeah. love those. Yeah, no. Um, I, when you well, say people, do you, are you not including yourself? Well, I'm, ta- I'm like people. People at like um, like sport film festivals, mountain movie, and exactly. Yeah, those, yeah. Like that, I, those people love watching people climb mountains and surf. Yeah, for sure. I I didn't know a lot about surf culture before mm-hmm. getting into this, and I researched and watched a lot of movies, and I, I realized, wow, there's like a whole subgenre of just surfing movies. And so it's endless. It is. And it, <laughs> and it's kind of great for us in a way. Cause that like, like a bangle death is still playing in fucking film festivals. It's insane. But the reason is cause it's a music documentary and exactly. the music documentaries 
these festivals are popping up left and right. And yeah. as soon as they hear that they can get the film, they want to show it. Well, that's so. well, that's like, you know, at the at my theater, we yeah. book, you know, Vancouver International Mountain Film Festival and other sport film festivals and mm-hmm. people show up like yeah. and and I don't see the marketing. I don't know. Like a lot of times it's, you know, companies, sport companies, whatever, yeah. snowboard movies they'll come out of nowhere and fill the house. So nice. for sure, like sport, yeah. it's like, it's definitely, like you said, a subculture, subgenre. Yes. And, and we, we tried our best to get the best surfing footage we could mm. with what we had. And were you know, on a, were you like in the water on a board? We weren't, oh. we weren't the first time. And I was very disappointed in our footage because of that. I mean, we had great footage from the shore, but mm-hmm. people want to be in the water. Yeah. So the second trip, we actually went that went out a second trip to get, more surfing shots so we brought them back out to just surf again um and we brought a an underwater camera guy um, nice to, to get some shots and, and he got some some in the water he was a surfer himself so he was on a board and so there's and, some uh, eye candy there yeah i wanted to get aerial shots but we man every time we went out there <laughs> it wasn't in your in, in your kickstarter it, it wasn't budget. in our kickstarter budget or, you gotta get one of those little yeah. drone guys i know i know it's very windy out there i don't even know if you could use those little guys i mean it's it's pretty insane how windy it gets in really? Ireland, at least in the you know on the shore. You know, mm. um, we're we're as far out as you can get where we were filming on Ireland. Did you ever see uh, John from Cincinnati? That series about the surfing community. No, the David but I, I, I think I saw one episode. That, that it's had, a good good fucking show. I did, loved it. Didn't it have Al Bundy in it? Yeah, he's yeah. he's <laughs> incredible in it. Nice. I mean, the whole thing is that he's like. In all the David Milch shows, there's like a David Milch mouthpiece character, mm-hmm. and and he uh, Ed O'Neill plays the David Milch mouthpiece character in that, and he's so good. I mean, he's just a tremendous actor. Cool. Yeah. No. I'm glad is. that he gets credit for the comedy stuff, but yeah. he's as a dramatic actor, he's amazing, and like he he fights too. He's like a mm-hmm. black belt in jujitsu no, no or way. something too. He's like this awesome guy that just doesn't nice. get enough love for those aspects. There's there's a lot of actors like that. that yeah. Just, they get pigeonholed because of one character. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you ride that for a career and that's a beautiful thing. But yeah. You can go your whole life not knowing that Al Bundy can kick your ass. Mm. And that's some good information right there. Except, except for John Hedder. I think I think he's Napoleon Dynamite for life. I think, yeah. I think he's got to go back to that. But other stuff's not working out. <laughs> and it's weird. It's like, you know, that character, he goes into it so effortlessly and perfectly Mm -hmm. it's really i mean that's a hell of a performance i mean that kind of that movie kind of gets like sequestered to the side as like (laughs) oh it was like this weird cult fad and it's over but that's a hell of a fucking performance yeah i mean everybody in that movie is pretty much bringing their a game for like a fucking low budget movie it's damn impressive it's an iconic character yeah i I put him up there with uh Wee herman and uh um what's his name from england uh more. Mr. Bean? Okay. Mr. Bean. More? I was like, no, you're going to have to give me more information <laughs> oh, yeah, on that. Sorry. You know the guy from yeah. England. Yeah. Come on. Okay. <laughs> the one guy from England that does character-based comedy. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be back with questions from the mailbag. So stick around. Ladies and gentlemen, last week we released a special bonus episode of the Smug Film Podcast where we discuss holiday movies and our favorite films of 2014. If you haven't heard it, it's probably because you're not a member of Smug Film Club, our awesome online mailing list where the only time we'll ever be in your inbox is when we're sending you exclusive free bonus content. So sign up today at smugfilm.com club and we'll send you that bonus episode right away. 
By the way, this episode is sponsored by Rock That Gem, beautiful handcrafted gemstone jewelry. Visit them at rockthatgem.com and use coupon code SMUGFILM for 10% off your order. First question we have here is from Brad, and he asks, Given that both of you have made documentaries, referring to Mark and myself, what do you make of Werner Herzog's statements about documentaries needing to have a truth rather than portray reality as it is? Do you agree or disagree? What do you think about that? I mean, it's it's something, as a filmmaker, I, I've i been struggling since that first horrible Vermont movie I made. <laughs> what state is Vermont in? I mean... You know, I always think of Searching for Sugar Man when I think about these kind of things, because to me, that's a great movie, but it's not a great documentary. But at the same time, it is a documentary. <laughs> like, it, as a do- not a great documentary, but what I mean by that is he leaves certain facts and truths yeah, out. Yeah, what was the thing? He left out, like, this huge aspect well, where he was, the guy was actually popular. He in, was very he popular. Was in, like, Australia. In Australia. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he even had, like, a hit record mm-hmm. that he released. And, and they just totally glossed over that. All, yeah. And they were so deliberate about everything else. They were like, and this happened, and then this happened. And making and a band called Death, I'm meeting all these musicians and, and record collectors, and all of them are like, dude, I had Rodriguez record throughout the years like that's fucking bullshit well, i hate not, shit like that. It, well, it's not like i i'm gonna take i'm gonna take, no, it's take fine. umbrage I, with I, what <laughs> with what this this question is because i think that i mean i respect the pure documentary thing and um we were talking earlier about um the the documentary the imposter mm-hmm. and i remember a couple years ago I was earlier like, meaning prior to the podcast yes. i don't want people to think they like spaced out and no missed, no like, some no great, no uh, you, you've been, you awake, you've been okay. awake the whole time but like we were talking about um the imposter and i recall seeing that at Hot Docs in Toronto a couple years ago. And after the film, it seemed like the audience was just completely electrified, as was I. And afterwards, I heard some Ryerson University students moaning because it wasn't a pure documentary. And I just remember thinking, like, if you enjoy the medium and you weren't moved by that um, because it doesn't fit your criteria of what a documentary should be, then I hope you never make any money doing what it is that you think you want to do. Because I mean, film is fluid, and I think that um, you know what what one filmmaker does is really good. But I think that if somebody else can be more dynamic or push boundaries in some way and still keep it interesting, then you know, bravo to them. I think that say something like The Imposter, when people were seeing it, they thought it was it, it might veer into you know the Learning Channel you know mm. documentary type docudrama, but but it didn't. And that year there were other documentaries that that took a similar approach in terms of re- recreation. There was a, a really wonderful one um, about a British woman who died in her home and nobody missed that she was missing for over a year. Hmm. And when they went and found her, she literally melted into the carpet. Oh, like she, she decomposed. The TV was on. Wow. It was an, but it was all done through recreation. And, and that story wouldn't have been as impactful if they, I don't mm. think if they took that approach and, you know, sometimes it fails. Hello, interior leather bar. And sometimes it doesn't. You hey, know? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be the uh, devil's advocate on that. I think that's a brilliant oh, fucking movie. No. Sounds great. <laughs> Dude, I love that movie. No, you okay, don't. Um, let's put a bullet on that. Cause I want to come back to that. Have you seen, have you seen his other one? The general hospital one? No, the I documentary he made. Okay, mm. um, but hold on. Put a put a little <laughs> marker on a, on a interior leather bar. I want to come back to that because I really like that movie. But um, first, uh, ad- addressing uh, the imposter. Mm-hmm. My thing with the imposter, I I didn't watch the whole film and I turned it off because I was watching it. And I was like, you know what? I can't get down 
with the fact that this is, you know, 2.35 to one, I can't get down with the right. aspect ratio because and the that, temperature for me, wasn't correct in the room for your optimal documentary look, enjoyment. I, you I know, gather. call me a prissy pants, but, um, when I'm watching the documentary, I want it to be four, three, I want it to be 16, nine or one eighty five one or something. I can't get down with the scope documentary. I love it that's so, the hang up. Yeah. That's a, Hey, for, look, I'm, I'm the guy who calibrates this fucking TV up the wazoo and everything. Um, but I can't get into it. Because, and also the fact that they did a lot of the, you know, the color correction of bringing everything to like blues and oranges and not using the real colors of a room. That's something that really fucks me up on documentaries. When there's too much color correction and they're yeah. trying to make everything look exactly the same and they're not showing you what a room actually looks like, or what a person actually looks like. Mm-hmm. It just felt, you know, absolutely deliberate. And if it that's how you want to see a movie, then that's your movie. But for me, watching that documentary, it's allowing me to not be able to get into the story because I can't get over the aesthetic aspects. And for me, the documentaries that I really love, it's all lines up with my aesthetics. It's all stuff that I respond to visually and on like a beauty level that allows me to get into the story. Because I feel like any story can be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, any premise for a documentary can be interesting. It's all about how you handle it. Like that movie, um, Dear Zachary. I hated oh. I hated the editing in that movie, but the story is, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely riveting. But I, I just hated how the movie was made. And that was a hang up for me as far as enjoyment. And I feel like documentaries, it, it relies so much on editing and how you're showing everything that like you can be really turned off from something just from those aspects. Yeah, I guess it reminds me a little bit of hang up that punk rock guys have with mm. death's music you know mm. by them being labeled punk like i guess it comes down to labels in a yeah way. absolutely um it's all subjective i mean a lot of people i meet listen to death's music and they're like this is punk rock man this is the truest form of punk rock i meet a lot of people also that are like no this is like you know this is like the alan parsons project or something like this is not but it's, I think it's about like defying genre too. Yeah. Like when you were talking about, you know, these guys and did they invent punk rock? Like, I think to me, one of the things that I, I found compelling with a, a band called Death and when you, when you explored them was um, at the point, one of the points in the film, um, one of the gentlemen says, you know, and they talked about going to the, the Who concert mm. and how yeah. that, you know, sort of changed everything. And you think... I think today we are so locked into certain people doing certain things that mm-hmm. to hear about three, you know, young boys in Detroit getting their minds blown from the who seems really distant because we assume that they're supposed to just be into yeah. one kind of music. And and I think maybe that's sort of really what punk is about, is about the attitude. So, oh, I, you know, sure. it's about it, filmmaking, too, is about defying a genre and, and earthing something completely different out of the same material. Yeah, whatever genre you're working in, you reinvigorated mm. by grabbing from other areas like that's yeah. the that's the way that westerns change or horror changes or anything mm-hmm. a lot of times you know my favorite like impulse towards somebody wanting to create something uh lines up with gary panter's uh Roz talks manifesto which he wrote in the 80s i think which one of the clear points of it is if you don't like a particular genre work in that genre because you'll probably be fucking good at it and you'll mm. probably do something awesome with it I'm paraphrasing completely. I probably made that into a better quote than it actually exists in the manifesto, not to toot my own horn. Mm -hmm. But that's the gist of it is that like, you know, there are horror movies for people who hate most horror movies. There are Westerns for people who hate most Westerns and they come from people, you know, rather than 
running away from pop music because you don't like what's on the radio, creating something that will be on the radio in the future. It's mm-hmm. like with The Simpsons. The Simpsons was at one point a fucking avant-garde experiment. Mm-hmm. It wasn't pop culture. It wasn't the most mainstream thing we can think of now as far as entertainment and animation. Mm-hmm. It was a segment on the Tracy Ullman show. Exactly. <laughs> and it was a crude yeah. experiment. Mm-hmm. It, it was throwing stuff against the wall and making something with yellow people. And, <laughs> you know, we take it all for granted now because it's just as American as apple pie or the Beatles because, you know, the world becomes America, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. No, I, but, you know, I actually I think that point, I think that's a really great point for life. Like uh, now that you've said that, I think my other goal, one of my other goals in 2015 will be to make a horror movie because I, mm-hmm. I feel like I spent a lot of time watching them. I program them at the theater and most of them, I just, I hate them. Um, they all fall apart so terribly in the third act. Like mm-hmm. I see so many movies and I'm like, the premise is really, uh, and then yeah. the zombies come out and fuck everything up. So yeah. There you go. I mean, now I want to see your horror movie. Yeah. It, won't, that, ha- it my, won't have zombies. I'm going to tell you that much. This is, this is actually the reason why I haven't made a horror film yet is because I grew up on horror and, and it's the genre that I love and I embrace. It's how mm-hmm. I met my wife for crying out loud. But I, I feel like I couldn't do it justice because I love it too much and I know it too much i feel yeah. like See, i feel like happens, i need to pick something that i don't mm-hmm. like that happens with a lot of guys who like they'll go into horror because it's for one thing it seems like an easy genre to get into because there's a lot it's of the way to get a film bought and yeah, sold it's yeah. a lot of bad stuff and it's okay to be bad it's a genre where it's okay yeah. to be kind of shitty in because you still sell a movie or something and you know that's a beautiful thing you're going somewhere safe but mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to veer fucking way off and yeah. So now, now your film could look like shit. It could be paranormal activity and make yeah. millions of dollars. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still so on, on. I mean, I've having been to horror movie festivals, and you just like they're, you know, consume, 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 and yeah. I walk out of them going like, I really only liked one of them, but the one <laughs> yeah. that I like usually is the I find the one that like, you know, no one's heard of, but it's mm-hmm. it's so starry starry eyes. That's gonna be my, yeah, my I, one of my. I still have to see that. Have you seen it? No, what's that one? Oh my god, it's so good. It's um, I, I believe it's from the Travis Stevens. Tra- Travis crew. Stevens, yeah, Vermonter, by the way. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Okay, He's- I didn't know that. Um, hands down. Um, my it's kind of like Rosemary's Baby meets a, a Star Is Born or something like that. Like it's it's I programmed it at our horror movie I hear festival. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And and the 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 actress who um has the lead role in the film, whose name escapes me at the moment, is also you know. Mm-hmm. Can he, Canadian um, has a Vancouver connection, but if you're looking for something, I, go watch it tonight. Can you just nod at me? It's on uh, video on the man. It's right? amazing. Is it free? It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Is, but is like, it if it was free, I, if it was free, I'd watch it when you guys leave. Oh, it's 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 amazing, and and to me, I'll I, take a look at it. Though. It, That's, it defied. I'm in the mood for a yeah, good it horror de- movie. It defied I, so I've many. Heard it's yeah. so many great things from it, and and I'm not just saying that because I'm friends with Travis, but uh, yeah. all of my horror friends have yeah. seen it now. And they're like, I mean, I can count on less than one hand the amount of horror movies I've seen in the last couple of years that I really love. Like, it would probably be Girl Next Door, I fucking adored, and I think it's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever fucking seen. Also, I love the, the novel of it too mm-hmm. by Jack Ketchum. Um, and I interviewed the director for the oh, site. Cool. Y'all should check that out if you're listening because it's a good one. Um, and uh, Eden Lake. Did you guys ever see that I one? I heard about it. That one's fucking good. Mm-hmm. It's fucking Fassbender not being all like Fassbender mm-hmm. leading man, like being just like, you know, guy doing a job, acting job kind yeah. of thing, which is cool to see out of him because you sort of associate him with like 
everybody looking at him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's heavy fucking movie. Love that one. And then I have to sort of rack my brain after those two to well, think of something that I really loved as much. A lot in of people years. say that Cheap Throws is a horror film, but to me, it's more of just a black comedy. Um, <laughs> but to me, I mean, that's my favorite film of 2013. And apparently it was released theatrically in 2014. So it might even be my yeah, favorite no, film we, this we, year. We, we played it. Which Rio. one is uh, Cheap Thrills? Um, Cheap Thrills is... Um, Yell Cats. Yeah. Um, Evan Katz is direct, the uh, director. Um, Pat uh, Healy's in it. it stars Ethan Embry. Pa- Pat Healy. Yep. Ethan Embry from... Uh, I like Embry. David, David yeah. Koechner. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'm on board for some it's, Embry. It's, it's, it's to, awesome. I mean, if it's a horror film, it's a horror film. To me, it isn't. Um, See, that's I, what I... That's my thing for horror movies. It yeah. has to feel like it couldn't be a horror movie, but I guess it sort of is. It's like pretty that, horrific what happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's... No, I, that's interesting that you'd you'd call it a black comedy. I don't know that... I would, but I just remember I, I was one of my favorite of that year as well. I mean, I got to see it. Um, Draft House bought it the night I flew into South by Southwest, so I got to see it that night. Nice. And they had a huge like get together with it. Um, I never laughed so hard from beginning to end watching oh, a film, and and laughed so hard at the most twisted yeah. shit. I mean, literally, <laughs> yeah, it reminded me a lot of that movie, um, Very Bad Things. Only, yeah, that was it, like the notorious black comedy for many, many. But years, I remember yeah. seeing that in a movie theater, and I was laughing out loud during that movie, mm-hmm. and the entire audience got up and left. I was the only one <laughs> laughing till yeah. the ending. Whereas Cheap Thrills had a packed house, and people were laughing nonstop from beginning to end. Oh, great! Yeah, um, Dave Keckner's fucking he's amazing. At it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward. Now to check that. out Cheap Thrills for sure. Um, yeah, but to bring it back to the question real quick, I guess um, tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my take is, you know, I like Herzog a lot. I like his documentaries a lot, probably more so than his narrative stuff. If I had to pick between yeah, the two, I mean, I, I love, you know, Gary the Wrath of God. That's mm. my number one for him. But, um, you know, Grizzly Man is so well put together. And I such a perfect doc. I just feel like in the question when he's saying about reaching a truth rather than portraying reality as it is, when you're making a movie about anything, when you're making art about anything, you're picking what to leave in, what to leave out. You and then you're sort of, you can think that what you're doing is getting to a reality just by, you know, let's say leaving a camera on a floor mm-hmm. and just showing something happening without editing it. You know, yeah. you can do stuff like that, but you're still leaving something out. You're still choosing what to leave in, choosing what to leave out with any art. So mm. as far as getting to a truth, you know. No, it's, it's, it, it's it, true. Yeah, yeah it's, it doesn't always have to be something that you deliberately set out to do, but you're going to end up at a truth anyway. And it's all about recognizing that in the editing, I think. I mean, I've seen movies where there was stuff that I was on board with about it, but they just didn't heighten those aspects enough when they edited it. And I sort of left mm-hmm. sort of ambivalent, like, oh, man, if they had just like taken out this, maybe just the ending, maybe just like this plot line or something, it yeah. could have been like a five-star movie for me. Like, that's how I felt about Tree of Life, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a 90-minute movie in in Malick's <laughs> Tree of Life that is my favorite movie I've ever seen. Yeah. But I will never see that movie because I'm only going to see the, <laughs> the, the version with um, 45 minutes at the beginning and 45 minutes at the end that I just don't like whatsoever. Yeah. But there's some movie trapped in there because there's so much footage in that that I enjoy. There's so much... Um, very universal like growing up stuff in it that i love it's it, there's something in there that's for me and for his movie after that to the wonder mm-hmm. i thought i was going to hate because i figured you know the whatever train he's on with tree of life that's not for me you know i'm more into the older malik stuff but i fucking love to the wonder 
I, mm. I never liked Ben Affleck and shit, and I fucking mm. loved him and that. <laughs> and I thought that was that was my version of what I would have wanted Tree of Life to be, like an unbloated, narrowed down mm-hmm. movie. So I really liked that one a lot. So I think when you're finding the truth, it has to happen in the editing. I think if you try to do it when you're shooting, yeah, I know you can relate to this. Once you start thinking you know what the movie is when you're shooting, you fucking you've you've lost the mark because you're you're steering it somewhere and it's not going to yeah. end up there. It has its own life. It's going to end up where it is, and you either recognize where it's ended up or you still try and conform it to some arbitrary idea of what you think the movie was like when you're shooting or before you're shooting or something like that. Yeah, you know, and that's I think that's where people get into trouble because they get pr- so precious about their ideas of what the movie is before they start making it. And the editing process is really where it comes alive, I think. It's interesting, you know, like in you're talking about Grizzly Man and I remember seeing that when it when it came out and loving it and right after the film as the credits were rolling, I walked over to my, you know, horrible friend and I was like, I want Why is to- she your friend then? Well, because we're both horrible and I was like, <laughs> I wanted to see the tape. And <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. No, right? No, like because yeah. everything that you just said about like choice and subjectivity oh, yeah. and documentary like to me, isn't that like if, if you were that filmmaker and you had all that stuff and you had access to that, like, yeah. and I get where he was going and he made that whole aspect so precious. Like, yeah. I can't put it in. It is too much. But like at the <laughs> same time, you're like, oh, yeah, it I makes wanna, you want to see it right yeah, away. I, I yeah. want to be I want to be punched in the stomach. Like when I think about yeah. the um the the documentary, I can punch you in the stomach. No, no, it's not the same. It's, <laughs> a, it's an emotional stomach. I'm just put, I'm <laughs> but, trying to be a nice host. But, you know, the um the documentary, the Robin Hood, Hood Hills murders, the, the children oh. paradise. Oh, that's my, that's my top, top number one. When you, the opening credit, like the opening sequence in that film is that horrifying video of those three children Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, as they found them. And I remember seeing that also, I mean, this is really dating myself, but I remember seeing that when it came out on the big screen and that image just by itself was so jarring Mm. Um, that it never, it just set the tone for the rest of the film. So it's like, and, and I would, I would have, I would you know, pardon my commentary, Mr. Herzog, but I would have been like, I wanted to see that or, yeah. or at least hear it. Yeah. Like, be, I, I mean, I think it was artistic to leave it out, but at the same time, there's such a, a genuine horror in that moment that I think we were all kind of want that experience because it's, mm-hmm. it's so truly terrifying. Yeah. I think, I, I think he should, he should have put it in. I think the difference being that, you know, when you're watching in Paradise Lost, you're seeing the aftermath of a murder rather mm-hmm. than the, you know, the taking place of somebody actually dying. And I can understand why he drew the line, but right. I'm I'm with you. When you're watching that scene, you're as much of you that doesn't want to see it, mm-hmm. you uh, is the same amount that does because it, it's making it taboo. It's making it alluring by having that mm-hmm. scene in there where they're like, no, we cannot show. But, and that I was think, like the worst Herzog. <laughs> yeah. but I don't I, know what the fuck that but was. But there's a moment of, of touching truth, which I think sometimes in a documentary um, is, is really electric more so than a, mm. than a, than a feature film ever can be like just even yesterday on the, on the radio or the other day I was listening to NPR and they were sh- um, sh- um, playing this tape of, of like uh, the Ceausescu's at their trial in in Romania back in the day, and the moment where they realized in the courtroom, you're about to be a, you're about to be killed. Mm. Um, mm. And they played this tape, and I don't speak Romanian, but there was this moment of sheer panic and terror in their voices, you know, coming coming through when they were like, and this is the moment where they realized that they they weren't going to be the trial was done, and they were going to be you know dealt with that day. And I was just sitting in the car terrified. I mean, those are, you know, 
important moments, I think, that they can work all different kinds of ways. But I think, um, I don't know, I'm, 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 for putting it in there. Yeah, I mean, that's your money shot when you're making a documentary. It's yeah. like with that uh, that documentary about Bud Dwyer, you know, the, the congressman who shot himself yeah. in oh, the yeah. head and they have the footage of it. I mean, that's, if you're making a documentary of him, you kind of have to show that whether <laughs> yeah. you want to or not. Yeah. I mean, that's what people are looking for, even though you can find it on YouTube or whatever, but that's that's your crucial event. That's why you're making the movie in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can definitely understand that in regards to Grizzly Man and needing to put it in there. But it's it's hard because it's such a great movie that it's it's you're it, like it is great as it's it so is so immaculate. But I it, mean, it would have you know. pushed it over the top, though, right? Like then you would have been destroyed. Yeah, and that's what I it would have been a different do. vibe too, though, because there was a lot of Grizzly Man that was really fucking funny. I mean, just the footage of oh, the guy where yeah. he puts his hand He's in hysterical. the poop, yeah. like in in Jurassic Park. It would it might have <laughs> <It's, laughs> he does you know, he does he's like that. it was inside of it was the bear inside of the bear yeah. <laughs> now it's on my hand. It's tough because. You know, since we haven't seen the footage, we're at a disadvantage. It could have been so horrible that if we saw it, we would, and we were making the movie, we would have left it out too. So uh, that's that's tough in that regard. I mean, that's mm. always the thing. There's so much trust when you're watching a documentary yeah. or you're making a documentary or whatever. You're, you're putting your yourself in the hands of this footage. You know, it's a, it's so much responsibility and... It, it gets very difficult to say what should be left in or what should be left out, but the impulse, I think, is always there. You want to see everything you can possibly see. You know? Yeah, yeah. the band in a band called Death didn't want us talking about David becoming an alcoholic at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. We spent a year and a half interviewing them and yeah. interviewing their family and their friends until finally we we got them to open up about it. But, man, did they not want to talk about it. And that's a very it. crucial aspect. That's it is. A, That's so crucial to understanding who this guy was, you know? Did they, I mean, after, like, they saw the film and, you know, sort of had that I, I guess expository on, on him and, and his life were they more accepting of it yeah for sure I think they understood right you know why we needed it in the film um you know in their heads they just they wanted to like David was this on amazing guitar player put him on a pedestal sure. yeah he had no faults you know but no, no that's it's probably hard the, to explain to somebody when you're not when they're not seeing the finished product but you're it imagining is. it in your it head is. and for somebody that doesn't make films exactly. you know, it's really hard to to get them to understand yeah. but uh, when when we showed them that first rough cut and they they saw how it all came together uh, man I yeah. th- I thought you guys did such a lovely job making him you know a real multifaceted person <sighs> right oh, yeah. I feel I like feel you like, know him after yeah. watching mm-hmm. the movie right about to say that yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I know the guy. I never met him once yeah. in my life. And it's there insane. are musicians I've seen documentaries about that I don't feel that way whatsoever. Yeah. And I probably learned way more information and saw I, way I, more I, footage of them than I saw in your movie. I guarantee but you I, don't feel that way after watching Searching for Sugar Man. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect example. Not to knock that movie. It's a good no. movie, but you don't yeah. feel like you know him after watching Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, and, he and that's feels, not a bad thing. I'm just and saying. And he feels knowable, too. Yeah. That was the problem with, with Sugar Man. You feel mm-hmm. like... If he was asked the right questions, he would have opened up in a way where you would have captured something where you really mm. got him. Uh, let me bring it to the next question. Brian asks, what genre or genres do you feel are underutilized and why? That kind of comes back to what we were talking about, I guess. Under, underutilized. Underutilized. All right. Well, underutilized, to utilize a genre, you're taking from the genre and you're utilizing it, whether within that own genre or in another genre. I mean, I'm, I'm going there and I know you're going there too, which is that, you know, the only genre that people kind of sequester off to the side and call something else, which is totally arbitrary and fucked up is porn, mm-hmm. which is a hell of a fucking important genre. And 
basically pioneered a lot of what we call erotic scenes in film came oh, yeah. out of porn porn exploitation films horror films hollywood has co-opted all of them oh absolutely and, and every and hollywood huge movie profits exactly every all of the even the superhero movies you're seeing right now yeah. it's all been done before it's just but, you know, yeah but with those other genres yeah. it's seen as okay and homage whereas people hide their fucking porn influences yeah. left and right and they might not even be aware of it themselves you know yeah no i I mean, I trust me. I know where my influences come from. <laughs> and you're like, and yeah. they are yeah. pornographic. And they are, my they friend. are, they are pornographic films. It's like from the Jen, 1970s. I'm studying right now. I'm <laughs> studying. I mean, my Leave thesis, me alone. my thesis paper is on the porno film Deep Throat, and it, and uh, oh wow, and its uh, cultural impact on the uh, film industry. Yeah, well, in the and 70s, you know, it was seen as more of a genre than it is now. I think it, For porn sure. has become such a machine that it's almost like professional wrestling, where it doesn't get the credit as theater or as performance yeah. that it should because it, it it's so ubiquitous and it's so much considered just its own thing that to talk about it with respect people are like what the fuck are you talking about no porn's just porn you jerk off to it <laughs> or what the fuck are you talking about wrestling's fake oh, yeah, therefore the- it's bad <laughs> you know people just sort of lump it into these very uh arbitrary categories when it's it's all part of the same thing it's all fucking performance art it's all showmanship it's all Mm-hmm. art you know yes there's ugly porn but there's some of the most beautiful things i've ever seen have been in porn yeah. can you tell me one beautiful thing <laughs> i can seen? okay no, much, i'm just out I, of curiosity yeah there's this uh porn actress named lonnie sanders who is amazing at giving blowjobs and i'm not choosing as an example as somebody with a penis who enjoys blowjobs i'm choosing as an example of somebody who loves visual uh depictions of beauty and the fact that like I can show you a video of it right now and you will be like, <laughs> okay, I get it. That is beautiful. Um, can you please show us? Yeah, I can pull it up. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like to me, like I'm I'm listening to what you're saying and like on on like, you know, as some I'm not really a consumer of it, yeah. but you know, I'm aware of it obviously. It's out there. Like to me, my big my big thing is like, you know, I think not looking at sort of the amateur and, you know, the uh influx of, of you know you know your neighbors making porn and putting it on the internet so but there much, can but- be beautiful aspects in that just like with you know homegrown cinema i think but the, again there are obviously few and far between because you know there's so much porn that like for me or mark who digs through and finds stuff like by like tinto brass or like i don't know who your guys are but for me it's tinto brass uh mario salieri a couple Gerard, other guys Gerard damiano is a, I'm a big go. fan of his i like radley metz joe damato yeah. Too. Like a lot of these guys were like, you've probably never heard these names in your life. But for us, like <laughs> these are like, we're talking about Spielberg and Kubrick yeah. and, uh, you know, whoever else. Um, There's your next documentary. I, Searching um, for Porn Man. Searching for Porn Man. That's <laughs> the next one. Yeah. <laughs> but you see. Well, I wanted to do I one. I want to see the poster, I, actually. I, I wanted to do one on Deep Throat, but then somebody made that. Yeah. So I, I never ended up seeing that. Was that It's really good. good. It um, is good. Um, I'll have to check that out. I was going to say, what's, what is it called? Inside Deep Throat. Inside Deep Throat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> there are a lot of... Uh, it's narrated by uh, Dennis Hopper, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. That's good. I love Hopper. But there are a lot of... Um, it's, a, it's a tricky thing because a lot of the surviving footage of that era is VHS copies to mm. well, you rips can't even, online. You can't even get a copy of Deep Throat anymore with the original soundtrack. Exactly. Like it's, it's, they've been replaced. It's, and the soundtrack was part of the one of the best things about that movie. Yeah. 
It's um. it's very similar to what happened with Doctor Who, unfortunately, which is that you know the BBC didn't see it as viable to keep other than just airing it. So yeah. they taped over footage of Doctor Who episodes with just news footage, mm. and they just reused those tapes. So a lot of the only surviving tapes are from people who held like an audio recorder next to their TV. Like mm. there's some episodes of like the early Doctor Who where the only thing there is just audio recording. Just yeah. Just because some kid was like, you know what? I like this show a lot. I don't know when it's going to be on again. So let me just hit record on my little mm-hmm. audio recorder. And um, it's the same thing with porn where like a lot of stuff got transferred to tape. A lot of the film just doesn't survive. Um, and there are those- ones out there and people are archiving just as, you know, I mean, that's just as uh, noble a thing as like criterion yeah. archiving stuff. But it's few and far between. There's a lot of films that are just lost. I'm going to I'm going to actually I'm going to maybe for lack of a better word plug um, a Vancouver uh, porno, which was sort of resurrected, uh, was made in the 70s called Sexcula. And I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but I have uh, not. I'm okay. guessing that it deals well, with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like a Dracula mm. sex comedy romp. It's um, like Blackula only. Ex- with yes, dicks. a little bit. <laughs> and a guy in a monkey suit and gets a bit kooky. But um, perfect. Yeah, like uh, there was the actually the last surviving porn theater, I believe, in North America just shut down uh, in Vancouver a couple years ago. Oh, wow. And um, there's one in Brooklyn I just found out about. No way. Is, yeah. Okay. Because I mean, that's what we were told. That's probably Vancouver. I'll, I'll talk about it. Continue. But, I'll, but, I'll bring so it up, this but, movie called, called Sex Gillow was kind of um resurrected they had a 35 cop milk you know copy of it nice. and, and um and it was recently transferred and it's it's screened in vancouver and it's screened at like i think in montreal and somewhere in france but it's totally it's it's amazing because it has that very canadian can exploitation <laughs> like 70s thing like a lot of loonies and bags of well, milk well <laughs> yeah some, exactly something like that but it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable because it's totally of of that sort of canadiana era and um when i watched it i was like really taken by the fact that all the guys looked the same as they do now oh, they're, nice. yeah. they're wearing you know plaid shirts <laughs> and toques basically they so look it's like, like an unintentional time capsule a, it really is yeah. and it's it is available and you can you yeah can, i gotta you, check that sex out it's, that's way up my alley. it's it is bonkers it's crazy i love it already yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so funny that my fascination fascination with the genre came from a dinner conversation I had with my dad when I was in high school. Oh yeah. And he mentioned that he was in the world's first porno feature. What? And that it was directed by the guy that directed Friday the 13th. Jesus, don't bury <laughs> the lead. I was, I was like, I was like, what? I was like, dad, I like horror films. What are you, you talking about? Sean S. Cunningham? And he's like, oh yeah, Sean. That's his name. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. And the guy, Wes was there too. The Freddy Krueger guy. I was like, Wes Craven? It was like, yeah, they they were making, they were um, like, Wes was the producer and Sean was the director and it was a movie called Together and it starred Marilyn Chambers. Was Jesus it, was Christ. Was it shot in Vermont? No, it was oh. shot, um, my not dad. Not everything's shot. <laughs> not okay. everything is, like, although uh, there was a porn shot up in uh, St. Albans, but that's Was there any story. shot on those Alpine slides? <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be really something. A lot of rug butter. I'd be watching um, that right now. But uh, no, my dad, um, he's from Brooklyn or Bro- he's from the Bronx originally. His family's from there. And he loves Jones Beach, so every chance he can get, he go to Jones Beach. So I grew up on Jones yeah, Beach. Man. Jones Beach, great place until the syringes started popping up on shore. <laughs> but uh, my dad is a bodybuilder, and he was walking around with his shirt off, flexing his muscles with his hot wife. He, he's been married six times, so this was like wife number four, I think. Um, I've lost count. But um, he's walking around, and he, they see a film production in the distance, and they just stand there, and they're watching it. And somebody comes running over to them. 
you know, halfway through the shoot and it's Sean S. Cunningham. He's like, hey. Uh, and my dad thought he was coming to my dad's wife because she looks hot. You yeah. know, he figured he's going to ask her to be an extra because there's all these women walking around with their tops off. And um, he comes right up to my dad and he's like, hey, you have an amazing body. Would you like to be in the scene? You know, we'll give you a wife and blah, blah, hey. blah. And, and so my dad's in this little scene and Sean S. Cunningham's first full length feature film <laughs> happened to be a porno. And uh, my dad didn't know what they were going to ask him or have him say. They didn't even give him a script. They were just like, you know, just be yourself and answer um, whatever comes to your mind. We're going to have a fake psychologist sitting at this round table. With, you know, you're going to have your fake wife sit next to you with her top off. And, and he's going to ask you questions about sex. Just be honest with him. And so my dad is like, a, he's a Christian. You know, he's yeah. very, um, even though he did write a book that dealt a lot with sex back in the 1971 called Snowballing. <laughs> Um, was, oh my God! He wasn't. He was He invented. <laughs> did he invent snowballing? And, and no, he didn't. Because um, that would be a connection to like Scott Mosher. Yeah, that would be same great. Thing. Be like oh, Scott, it, my dad. It, it all started back then. He wrote the book on yeah. snowballing. It, it is a book I want to make into a movie, though. It's about him being a ski instructor during the sexual revolution, which in the '60s ski instructors were, you know, they were getting laid left. Oh right. man, I got to see. So this. It, it's kind of like uh, Anchorman with a ski instructor. <laughs> wow. I, I, I've always wanted to adapt it into a screenplay and get it to uh um what's his name mr anchorman himself will ferrell wow. but yeah and adam mckay and but, all them. Yeah. But anyway, my dad's sitting in this scene and the shrink is going around asking all these sex questions and he gets to my dad and he's like so frank what do you think about oral sex and my dad is just not that kind of guy to come out and just say what he thinks yeah. about oral sex. <laughs> so he got he's like <clears throat> well that's a hard thing to say <laughs> he didn't realize that what he said was actually fun yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so that's in the movie that's in the movie and the only copy of this movie i could find was from germany so my dad's line is dubbed in german oh no see that's a problem with a lot of these fucking porn i know they're, they all become german they're ones porn. That, yeah they're <laughs> they're ones that only exist in in like german dubs or swedish dubs or whatever it's just like there's no care they're the only ones that appreciate the, uh, real porn the archiving or whatever <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, she's like, get me out of here. <laughs> but yeah, what I was going to say earlier was that uh, I just discovered the other day uh, that there's a porno theater in Brooklyn. I thought there were none. I thought mm -hmm. the only thing. Still open? Yeah. Wow. Is it like surviving like vintage? Like it's been there since, you know. Yep. And, wow. um, it, you know, it's one of those classic theaters that have been around since like the 20s. <laughs> there, there are floors are nice and sticky for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Many layers. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, like there's this one, the Kent in Brooklyn, which is like very old surviving movie mm. house. And now it's just like, you know, a piece of shit. See, but I, I miss it's, slimy, it's, scummy 42nd Street yeah, where it was miss, just sex, sh yeah. sex uh, theaters and DNA would, for all. Know, they would show like, you know, um, like exploitation films, like... Um, basket case you know exactly. and, then, and then show deep throat right after i mean i miss Which for I, us is like to a me, friday night dude I, I miss that part of new york <laughs> not that i lived through it but I, yeah. you know, I was a young kid when it was still kind of hanging around yeah so i thought <laughs> that the only guys playing porn now was uh, anthology film archives sometimes they'll play like 35 millimeter prints of like you know really rare awesome shit because they yeah. they play anything that's like really cool including my movie nice oh, screen there Nice little plug was, for me. I was at the uh, Lake Placid Film Festival and um, back in 2002, and they actually showed a 3D porn on 35 millimeter. Oh man, um, so red and blue kind of 3D. Yeah, I didn't get to see it that night because I, cool. I was hanging out with the trauma team. But oh, cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's good to see that there's still some people that appreciate showing the old prints. Well, and, yeah, yeah I, I had a, a very interesting conversation with a, a Brazilian 
woman and she was we were this came up and she she was saying how she she's like oh I love you know that like, I won't even do the accent but she was you know telling me how she enjoyed old 35 millimeter Brazilian porn because the music is fantastic it is it's, it is no, it's, 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 <laughs> absolutely wow there's some great fucking porn soundtracks. Deep Throat is, uh, they re-released the album. It's on vinyl now. You can get it on CD with the original music, but the people that made that music are all anonymous mm. because, I don't know if you remember, Deep Throat was one of the first feature-length films in the United States that was getting tried and convicted by you know all the courts yep. for even existing. First time an actor was brought into court and arrested for acting in a film. Yep. <laughs> Um, still, so it still makes money though. I mean, like, I think it's, yeah. it's very untapped. Like I, we actually tried to, to book deep throat. I've been trying to get deep throat well, for a long time. Cause we're, we're licensed. We can screen it. And I'm like, we have a bar. Can we just make this happen? And I was in touch with the distributors and he was telling me, cause I was like, I really want to show, but I want to show it on 35. Mm. And they reprinted like one or two copies of, of the 35 to, to, you know, give around to film festivals and stuff. And, you know, I was like, that would actually be great. Cause we have a projector and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but one of them, he he warned me. He's like, it's not in great shape because I guess they played it in Mexico and like oh, grains no. of sand got, oh, got, got on the, you know, the, the celluloid or whatever. But he's like, he said, he's like, I'm going to warn you. He's like, whenever it's played on 35, the people, they come out to see it. Like it's an event, yeah. right? It's not, it is. It's, it's not, you know, watching. It's a fun movie to watch. I mean, you don't. Back when it came out, mainstream audiences were going Absolutely. in droves to go see exactly. it. My, my film teacher told me he went to go with his wife back in the 70s. You're just seeing any other movie. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard for people to understand yeah. that today because of what porn has kind of become with the internet. Now. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, sex it's, scenes now. Yeah, it's just its um, thing. It's like you, this is what you watch when you're doing this. Yeah. Um, I just looked it up. So the, the, the one in Brooklyn that I found out about is called Cinema Kings Highway. Hmm. And it's uh, three theaters. It's one for gay, one for straight, one for just a regular that's movie. Awesome. That's like the and United Nations of, so of sexy cool. porn time. It's, yeah, it's like you pay $12. You can go in there for like the whole day if you want. <laughs> and can you? And can it's you, a lot of creepy dudes, apparently. I, I really want to take a smug film trip there with, be with John and Jenna. And, and a just, hazmat suit. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. Jeez, Whatever, invite, invite me when you do that, please. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> a bucket of pure land and a hazmat suit. Yeah, there's some guy that wrote a blog about like going there and like how creepy it was. A lot of but tissues. I figure if you go in mass, then I think it should be fun. Well, the the one that closed down in Vancouver, I, I maybe it was the, the longest running in, in Canada. Maybe I shouldn't have, have said uh, North America. It was mm. called the Fox Cabaret. And it mm, was like- a good name. It was- you know, CD and, and, you know, horror and whatnot. And it was recently converted into a, into a club and they had a really great blog post about cleaning up the Fox. Oh, and like they had like all these like CSI kind of, you know, glow in the dark luminol shots of like, this is what, nice. what the bathroom looked like and all God. this kind of stuff. Yeah. But the backs of seats are like glowing, like yeah, Slimer. Not, <laughs> it's, it's not pretty. That's and how yet, they actually yeah. did that effect. By the way. They all stood around. Bill Murray was just shooting his every single day. It took him years to just, jerk off all into this one spot and then eventually became this glowing green oh, awesome. it's a being. testament to his personality that his semen just can actually perform yeah, man. on cue it's adorable put enough semen of different guys in one area for that long time and that's how you get slimer it was a practical effect which is a beautiful thing it's better they don't than have CGI. those anymore yeah nowadays if you want to yeah even John Waters' last film, I was disappointed in because he had come in it, but it was CGI come. Oh, what? No. It was um, 
a dirty, dirty shame. shame. Yeah. yeah. That's I was sad. very disappointed. But he said he's not he's not in the business to make the kind of films he was making back in the day. But he hasn't he hasn't really done anything since. Well he's tried right? he he wants to. Oh he, he does? He, he really does. He said that the only reason he's not making films anymore is because nobody's financing the middle ground films. Right. Only financing Which is very true. Really yeah. cheap films or really expensive films. So filmmakers like him and David Lynch can't make films anymore. It's yeah. ridiculous. They've been you know, These amazing filmmakers, out. yeah. He, he was yeah. in he was in uh, Life After Beth, which uh, oh he was horror, yeah he's oh, in I horror see film that yeah it's with the uh, Cat Dennings mm. and uh, yeah yeah he was my other wife yeah hey we're gonna have to fight over her <laughs> um, yeah um, it's sad to see that that state of the film industry but yeah it's just a weird patch we'll get out of it I'm sure. I mean, that's right, why so, Joe Dante's not making films. Yeah. <laughs> well, he made that one, the fucking, making, the yeah. hole or whatever, which sucked ass. Ugh, but, yeah. Um, all right. So we don't have a third question, but Rachel, you want to come up with like a question that we can all answer well, just randomly? And I mean, we'll I guess, I mean, so the, the obvious one, let's maybe talk about uh, movies we've seen in 2014 that mm. left an impact or that. I already did an episode excited. on that though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> oh, <shit>. okay. <laughs> um, no, just what, ask, what films didn't leave an impact? Why don't you Let's just, just like, talk about the interviews? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Please, no. Have you seen it already? No, I just. Uh, okay. I'm he's, done. He's, I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> it just feels like one of those like alternate reality game things where like the movie doesn't actually exist, but everybody pretends it everybody exists. Pretends. It's all just like this thing that everybody's bought into. Like, I don't believe it's an actual movie. That's my theory. I think everybody going online and watching it, like they, they watch it and then it's just like a documentary about, you know, this alternate reality game that everybody's a part of. Because to bring it back to Interior Leather Bar. I was going to say James Franco say, would actually be in go. a great position Sounds to like make a thing that James Franco would do, just make this thing that doesn't exist. But the thing that I loved about Interior Leather Bar um, is that I liked that. You know, I like the whole thing of not knowing what is real and what is not when you're watching yeah. a movie. I made a documentary myself, rehearsals, where you're not sure what I'm, what I've constructed and what's actually real. And, you know, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, it's all pretty much fucking just me shooting stuff. I'm just shooting it in a beautiful enough way that people thought like, oh, it's like you're watching a movie. It's like, oh, this is a state. No, it's just girls in their apartments and me with a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved Interior Leather Bar because I liked how uh, funny it was. I like when things are played with in like a funny way that you wouldn't expect. Like I, I thought that movie was going to be something entirely different, and it's just like this forty-minute funny pseudo documentary. Mm. And pseudo documentaries, they can go either way for me. They can be great or they can be just like yeah. infuriating because you feel like you got gypped. <laughs> This was fun for me. I thought it was fun. I, like, yeah, this is funny. I mean, I, I, I do recall watching it. I, I will, you know, I was in a, at a film festival in a room full of, you know, gay men and we were mm-hmm. all kind of waiting for one thing to happen and it never <laughs> happened. It was just the whole movie felt like a prank that never went anywhere. So that's, that's the aspect that clicked with me for it is because I also liked that he was playing with uh, the uncomfortability of like nudity and sexual acts mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, they do that a lot in comedy and it's very safe. It's like Jason Siegel standing naked in yeah. like a movie and like, oh, ha ha. And <laughs> like, look at my dick. Yeah, that's like the that's like the thread of like those kind of. It was a puppet. Of, <laughs> that's a thread it was of those kind of. Exactly. <laughs> those kind of comedies, they go that safe area now and that's become yeah. the safe area. Whereas actual like gay loving sex is yeah. this like thing that they wouldn't go into the area of. And that's somewhere that this documentary pseudo thing went and they mm. did it 
in a way to mine it, the, the, the uncomfortability and the funniness from the uncomfortability no. that you don't really see in comedies. And I, I like that aspect a lot. It's not a great movie, but no, it's not. it was so different <laughs> than what I thought that a lot of that shot, shock aspect really made me love yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know. Like to me, Interior Leather Bar was like, I guess, you know, you're James Franco. People know who you are and you've got money and you can do things and put your name on them and people will go to see them. That was like the when I, I remember walking out of the cinema and just that was the general read of the crowd. It was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, well, thanks, James Franco. But I felt that yeah. way after did, his his other film as did well. Did you see Child of God? What? No, I don't. That's I don't. His, did you see that? No, which one's that, that one? That's the new, latest one, right? Oh, yeah. Child. I haven't seen that one yet. Oof. No. Well, no. His, is it bad? I I still can't figure out if I love it or if I hate it. That seems <laughs> to be the area he's playing in with his own stuff. I, I guess. Well, the one that the first one I saw was it was the one he made about being on General Hospital, and it was like yeah, I still got to see that it's, one. It's it it. it made I a wanted film to about like being on General. Yeah, Hospital. and he basically was like took like the the scene that he was in that was very like tumultuous and mm-hmm. all these things happen, and then like you know stick figures start you know, being animated and strange things happen, but that sounds like shit. It, it never really, it's like, it's Sorry, like, Franco. yeah, yeah. it can't a all be of, winners. It's a lot of sad trombone for James Franco yeah. in the documentary world. I, I want to see the one he did on SNL. He, he did a Saturday. I think that one's pretty straight. Saturday apparently. night. Like it's just a straight really? up doc. That's what I heard about. I heard I it was know. this like student thesis or something actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, his, his perpetual student dumb. <laughs> And he's sort of, I've, I've had a lot of people that have worked on his films. They say he's a nice guy. I hear great things yeah. about him. Uh, John D'Amico interviewed Matt Rager, who he wrote uh, As I Lay Dying With. Mm-hmm. Great stories about Franco. Yeah. Some of them that are in the interview at smugfilm.com. All right, so that's, uh, that's the end of the episode, I think. we got to mm-hmm. probably hold the cord. It's getting a little long here. Both in our pants from talking about all this porno and <laughs> both on the timeline on the recording device. Um, but this was really fun. Yeah, Let's do uh, any any final thoughts, any short sentence that you want to spew out into the, uh, the smug film world. Mark, any short sentence you want to leave us with? Uh, just um, go to our website. No, it's, uh, no, 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 that's shit. Uh, you don't want come that? On, come oh, on. You want give a me, short give sentence? Give me something from uh, the heart. Uh, all right. Um, something from the heart. Hmm. You go first. Well, okay. If I was going to leave anybody with anything, it would be uh, if a film called The Tribe is screening near you at any point in time. What's with these fucking advertisements? Go see it. (laughs) Give them something. Go see. see Let's give something pure. Um, Something pure. Pure. Remark Um, on the room. Give them like, uh, not the movie, the room. I was going to say. Go watch the room. Oh, hi. We are sponsored today by the room. (laughs) Now, um, no, people. Uh, for some reason, people that listen, they're always like, "Oh, I like when you talk about like books that are next to the people or DVDs." I think, or whatever. I think it's okay. I'll I'll remark. I think it's kind of adorable that you have uh, Lloyd Dobler serenading you beside your bed. Oh hell yeah! Mm-hmm. Like, well yeah, that's know. like a pastiche. I have uh, I have Lloyd Dobler, and then mm-hmm. I have an original poster for the Sunshine Cinema. Uh, drawn by uh dan klaus you know not an original as far as like the one that he drew but the first wave of them that he made nice and then right next to that on the other side is the rocky hands up so i figured oh, yeah. i was creating sort of like the hands up boombox thing oh. and also a hands up yeah. uh rocky thing it was kind of like a deliberate like <laughs> yeah get out of bed and do something <laughs> oh. guy 
It was like, you know. So it has nothing to do with like your, you know, eternal flame. Oh, it, abso- it absolutely does. Okay. However, gross point blank, that's my John Cusack oh, crush is, movie. Yeah, I love that. I'm movie. not. Yeah, yeah, say anything. I fucking adore. Yeah. But gross point blank. I've seen that 30 it's times. Like maybe. Such a perfect movie. Oh, one of the best so written good. movies. Mm. So intelligent. Dropping like references to like Basque separatists <laughs> in like a fucking romantic comedy. Yeah. Whenever anybody's yeah. doing that, it's that's for me. He's, it's it's I'd say it's actually the apex of his hotness. Oh yeah. I'd put that. I mean <laughs> let's just a, get real. Yeah. You guys got your porn. Let's talk yeah. about, you know, he for the is, ladies. Yeah. I mean, if we want to talk hotness. about porn, that's porn. That's <laughs> porn. Yeah. That's getting me off faster than half the porn out of there. Um so all right. You you need a sentence. Remark, um, just remark about something else in the room. Give them a the theater of the mind here. Let's create mm. like a. I am so happy I'm sitting in the Vincent Gallo section. Yeah, um, behind him are two Vincent Gallo posters: Buffalo '66 and Brown Bunny. Mm. Uh, I, I love Vincent Gallo. <laughs> who doesn't? I mean, a lot of people, but yeah. me and you. We There's a lot of him. people that don't like him. I adore the man. I've always loved the man through all of his. Ups yeah, and seeing downs. his stuff. That was one of the things that like. You know, you point to those moments of like making films. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to do what he's doing. Exactly. Not exactly the same, but I want to do it the same fucking like, yeah, this is me. Yeah. This is me on screen. Doesn't matter how much money you get. Just yeah. Just go out just and make the fucking movie. Do the damn thing. Yeah. And I guess my closing words, if I had to remark on anything, um, she's wearing a yellow scarf uh, and she has uh, black glasses, not sunglasses tortoise but, shell but yes okay well from this distance i understand we're very <laughs> okay. far away from each other right now yeah <laughs> but it looks like it could be black he's wearing a flannel shirt i mean come on he's an indie filmmaker <laughs> what was he gonna show up in here in a fucking astronaut outfit? no he's a fucking indie filmmaker he looks he, like a bum he's got a he's got you know a dirty hat on flannel shirt some khakis is that like white a long socks. john shirt? You're wearing like an undershirt, like yeah, that's a, a my long, long sleeve. Shirt. Yeah. He's got, yeah, he's got white socks that he probably climate. bought like a pack of 50 of at like Target when they're I having did. a sale. I go there through these go. like I water. got you pegged. <laughs> hey, I'm in your industry too, guy. I know what you're all about. Um, and you're wearing socks with like thong shoes. Damn right. I'm that's going cool. a little Japanese here. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Think, <laughs> here's the thing with like that. Like I don't like walking with socks like just straight up on the ground. I feel too much temperature to bring it back to temperature. (laughs) The thing that you got on me about (laughs) originally to bring it back to temperature. I don't (laughs) like too much temperature difference. I'm like a cat in that way. Not, not I'm adverse to water, but that same kind of concept for the air. A pussy. Yeah. Right. No. To bring it back to porn. Yeah. Like I'm trying. No. Yeah. So I, when I'm in the house, I usually rock, you know, cheap old Navy flip-flops and then I'll rock socks over it and it creates this sort of divot in the foot, which is actually a Japanese thing. (laughs) They actually sell these socks in Japan and you can get them here, but they're pretty expensive that have a natural divot in them so that you can wear uh, um, flip-flops with your socks. And it's like a very comfortable thing. And I sort of create the divot. I've sort of created those socks over time just by doing it a lot. It's a process I, I heavily believe in <laughs> and it, highly recommend to the listening uh, community as well as yourself and Mark. I'm going to do that when I go home. Kind of yeah. reminds me of my grandma or something. In a lovely way. Your grandma I love my sounds grandma. fucking cool. She was. She rocked a muumuu too, you know? Dude, like. She is up my alley. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, wait, what else am I wearing? Black shirt, brown pants. Looking um, good. Yeah, I can't see what else she's wearing because there's a stool in the way. But yeah. all I see is a black long sleeve, yellow uh, scarf, 
black, uh, no tortoiseshell glasses. <laughs> Let's you. not get yelled at again. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's your theory of mind for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, sign up for Smug Film Club. You guys should too. It's fun. Yeah. We just send you extra episodes. We send you audio commentaries for movies. We send you all sorts of bonus free shit. That's the only time we're ever in your inbox. We're never going to be there unless we're giving you something for free. We're not going to tell you when episodes go up. We trust you to figure that out on your fucking own. It's every week. That's easy to remember. So free stuff. That's the only time we're in your inbox. It's fun. Smug Film Club. Be a part of it. All right, guys. Say goodbye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.